It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. Bring it on. This better be good. Thank you. Two-minute drill presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown! All right, let's talk a little bit about the Ridgeline Riverhawks. That's the semifinal matchup, the six versus the two seed on one side of the bracket. And then Green Canyon taking on Park City on the other side of the bracket. The RPI, who is avoiding us, we tried to get her on the phone line today. She screened our calls, Larry, and it's because of your nonsense over the last few times we called her. You were very rude. She's avoiding us. That being said, she pooched a little bit in 4A with the one seed not even making it to the semifinals, Lawrence, right? Yes. All right, let's talk Ridgeline. This is a interesting team because it's a dynamic offense who can, who can beat you by running the ball or throwing the ball. Their best running back, J.T. White, got hurt early in the year. This Jackson Lindsey kid came in and picked up kind of where he left off. They got a very tough-nosed offensive line, great in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They've got a kid, they got an edge rusher on defense who's a ninth grader who's getting looks 24-7, scouting, all that stuff. People looking at this ninth grade kid who's uh, sacking people and coming off the edge and is a really good defender. So look out for him. That is Crew Jones, right? Cooper Clark's the kid who's got 13 tackles for loss on the year for them, and then Graham Livingston, their star 10th grader receiver. But what makes this team hard to defend is they can play smash mouth. They can also wing it around. Dally, Nate Dally, the sophomore quarterback's right around 60% completion percentage. He's been solid since last year. We saw him in the playoffs last year, knockoff Snow Canyon. He's been good this year. Um, not a lot of interceptions. Some games they say, look, you only have to throw it 10, 12 times, and we're going to run it the rest of the time. That won't be the case against Crimson Cliffs. Dally's going to have to throw the ball 25 times, at least, against Crimson Cliffs because they're not going to be able to run it. There's two times that they were held to 120 yards or less, and that was against Green Canyon in region. It was against Skyview in region, and then Orem held them to 65 yards. And Crimson Cliffs' defense is probably more closer to the Orem Tigers than anybody else in 4A, including Skyview or Green Canyon, who both have good defenses. I would be surprised if Ridgeline is able to run it for over 100 yards. Desert Hills, because they have Titan Mason, who is up there with Brevin Egbert before he got hurt as the best backs in 4A. His second time around against Crimson, he was able to have a great game. He ran for over 100 yards in the quarterfinal, looked really good. I don't think Ridgeline's back is that good. Mason is far and away, I think, uh, the top running back in 4A with Egbert. Right, Larry? If you go back to the Ridgeline 2021 team that ran through everybody, scored 45-plus almost every Friday night, that was a special, that Cox, Caden Cox was the quarterback, if you remember him, that Jackson kid, what was his name? Ah, he was a stud receiver. They're kind of trying to replicate that with Dally getting him playing time as a ninth grader, and now as a 10th grader, and then the Livingston kid who, who is uh, the son of the O.C., and then Cox is still the head coach up there. They're going to, I mean, they're going to get there, right? They're going to get there. They're already there. They're already in the semifinal this year. 
Next year and the year after, they'll be even better. So Ridgeline is just a great program that you got to respect because they've had such a good system over the last few years. Um, anything else on Ridgeline that jumps out? Nolan Perry, Larry, has this game as a 24-point spread in favor of Crimson Cliffs, which is about where I said I thought it should be yesterday. I said it should be around 25, maybe around 30, but I think I balked and said maybe 25 in the semifinal. Things get a little bit tighter in the playoffs. If you look at this Ridgeline defense against the best receivers in 4A, they played the kid from Bear River, Jace Roberts, who is the number one receiver yardage-wise in all of 4A. They held him to four catches, 69 yards. They played the pacing kid, Cooper Swayze, who was sixth in 4A in yardage, held him to six catches, 71 yards. Still a decent game for Swayze, but under 100 yards. They're about to face Tyler West, who's the top receiver yardage-wise in uh, for Crimson Cliffs and 4A. Look look that up. Where did he finish? Was he tops in 4A? I know Quincy Jones has got to be up there too, Larry. West is averaging 97 receiving yards. Can they keep him below his averages in the receiving game? And if they do, it's like, okay, but then you've got Malachi Lofipo, you've got Boston Adamson, you've got Owen Peterson and others who they can throw to. And then you look at Steel Barbin's line and compare it to Dally, and it's like he's just 40-something touchdowns, five interceptions, 65-plus completion percentage, right? Doesn't make mistakes. Deadly. Super fun to watch in his senior year. Steel Barbin. So that's my two-minute drill on the matchup. We'll have it all breaking down every day here in the program. We've got uh, Region 9 game day coming your way Friday. All the coaches' interviews and much, much more stats. Breakdown, expert analysis, everybody's picks. We'll get Uncle Hank. We've got Lawrence, the pigskin picking robot. We'll get Coach Rick Barry, Carl Frankie to give their takes on uh, the semifinal with Crimson Cliffs and Ridgeline. Anything else on that one, Larry? No. You have nothing to add? No. Letter to the Sport Hole. You can write to the Sport Hole at 93776. <laughs> Letter of the Sport Hole delivered by Tink Superior Auto Parts. Trust the folks at Tink Superior Auto Parts. Your hometown Napa in Cedar and St. George. You can write the Sport Hole. Uh, just send your letters to 750 Ridgeview Drive, ESPN 97.7, or you can text us at 900-3776. You can ask us anything. We'll do the best we can to answer. This is from Cindy. Hi, Sporty. Who should be in the college football playoff top four this week? That'll be released in about 40 minutes, Lawrence. Yes. On ESPN. Aren't you grateful that next year there will be 12 teams and we won't have to do this squeeze of only four spots? Thanks, Sport Hole. Cindy. Well, yes, I am grateful. It's ridiculous every year. And what it does is releasing the college football playoff top four in the rankings now, starting in week seven or whenever it starts, it diminishes the conference championships as the de facto decider of who should be in the playoff, right? Um, 
the conferences and the conference winners, especially now that they all have championships, should deliver the teams to the playoff. The power, you know, there's power five. But the four top conferences, this is why it's so ridiculous, right? Obviously. My point is the conference champions should go to the playoff. And to have these stupid releases every week where you've got two Big Ten teams or two SEC teams in your top four or whatever, it's it's ridiculous because it's saying, it's projecting that this is what it actually could be when we all know it can't be like that. And if it is, then we need to, we need to fire the committee, right? And luckily they are getting fired pretty much and we're going to allow a lot more teams in. My point, Larry, is that these lists are stupid. So I have my list, and it's based on on-field resume and puts a premium on wins. Who have you played? Who are your biggest wins? Not that you're just undefeated and you're Georgia or Michigan, and we've heard from Phil Steele about how good you are and about how how many five stars you have, and you're blowing out Purdue. I don't care about that. I care about quality wins against quality-ranked opponents when you did them. Number one is... For the second week in a row that I've been doing this is Florida State. Why? Because Florida State played somebody. They played they played and beat LSU first game of the year. They've beaten Clemson. They beat Duke when they were ranked. They've got a slate coming up of Miami, Northern Alabama. Is that right, Larry? And then at Florida. So three games that they can win, go undefeated, probably play Louisville in the conference championship. Jordan Travis hasn't slipped up yet. His Heisman talk has kind of wavered at times because he's going through the boring ACC. But now that Caleb Williams is is sobbing in the bosom of his mother, maybe Jordan Travis will get more talk. Larry, he, he's been great. He's been great all season long. And Mike Norvell is a lesson. He's a lesson to all of these eager Beaver college football fans, especially at Primo schools who want to fire a coach after a year and a half. Mike Norvell went 3-6 and six his first year with the Seminoles, 5-7 and seven his sec- second year, 10-3 and three last year. Now he's 9-0, and oh, and odds are he'll finish the season undefeated. I know Louisville's good, but he can get through Miami. Miami's a poser, and Florida's no good this year. So he can go undefeated. They're my number one, Larry. Number two. Washington. Why? Because they've got quality wins against... One of the biggest wins of the season, right? Against Oregon in a close game. They edged them out. One of one possession ball game. Wins against Michigan State, who's horrible. But at the time, you know, it was Michigan State out of conference. Win against Boise, who's not good this year. But at the time, it was they were beating Boise. And USC, not their most impressive win. Gave up a ton of points to the Trojans, but outscored them. And I don't really care, Larry, about unconvincing wins against mediocre or lesser teams than you. If you win a conference game and it's sloppy, but you almost, you know, you're barely beating Arizona or some of these crap, crappier, even though Arizona's good this year, but are better this year. I'm not as compelled to punish a team for that. If you if you win by six against a team who's lower tier in your in your division, as long as you win. Whereas if you go and beat somebody, especially out of conference, and put your neck on the line, I reward that big, bigly. So that's what I'm doing with Washington. And, and I think, you know, they should definitely be in the top four. They weren't, they weren't last week because nobody respects the Pac-12. 
even though they're they're having a great season this year. Some of the teams that fall off, like uh, Washington State, but overall, come on. Ohio State's number three. They beat Notre Dame. They beat Penn State. They beat a bunch of crap Youngstown and Western Kentucky in the non-conference, but they played ND. And ND was good this year. Is good this year. Ish. And they beat Penn State in a close game. And they struggled with Rutgers and they struggled with Wisconsin. But they're third. And then last. The fourth spot in the college football playoff goes to the Texas Longhorns, Larry. They're not going to be in the real top four. They're in my top four because they went to Tuscaloosa. They beat Bama. They beat Saban in his hometown. They put it on them. They beat a ranked Kansas team. They beat a ranked Kansas State team with a backup. Ewers is day-to-day. That shouldn't matter in the in the rankings. I'm just saying that Alabama win carries a lot of weight. Even though they lost to Oklahoma, now Oklahoma's lost two in a row. I care more about the big wins than the close losses to good teams in the conference. Texas, you deserve it. You had guts. You're in my top four. Thank you, Larry. Just out as Alabama, they lost to Texas, but look at who they've beaten in the SEC. Ole Miss, Tennessee, and LSU all ranked in the top 17. Good for Bama. Good for Saban. I hope he doesn't make the playoff. Georgia, undefeated, right? Only good wins against Kentucky, who's always a poser, and against Missouri, who's good this year inexplicably. But give me a break. They're still Missouri. They've beaten and played nobody in the non-conference. That's why they're being punished. Thank you, Lawrence. And then Michigan, they've killed everybody, Larry. Killed every lame team on their schedule. The Big Ten is so pathetic that they need to be punished. And Harbaugh, the the ruling's going to come out like today or tomorrow or something about how he's going to be suspended. Big Ten insiders say he'll likely not be able to coach in the Penn State game. I think that whole thing is stupid. That whole thing is so overblown, and the Connor Stallions, and they had a guy filming the sideline. 100,000 people were watching the same sideline. They just have a guy with an iPhone, and now people are calling for for, for Michigan to be banished from the playoff contention. Give me a break. This cheating scandal isn't even close to some of the bigger ones, like what the Astros did and some of these other teams who were Spygate putting a camera on a practice, you know, secretly, that's bad. What Michigan did stealing signs is a joke. I thought everybody knew already knew your signs are going to be try to be still. A hundred thousand people are watching every sign you give. They're out in the open. That's public domain. It doesn't cross the line of Watergate where they're putting bugs in the Watergate hotel, Larry. So it's a joke. Everybody hates Harbaugh in the Big Ten. We saw the Purdue coach uh, snub him on the handshake. But this is a joke. It's an overblade. It reminds me of people going after Brady with the deflate gate stuff. Didn't matter to me then. This doesn't matter to me now. It's stupid. But Michigan does not land in my top four, not because of the cheating, but because they played UNLV and Bowling Green and Eastern Carolina and all this crap. So get them out, Larry. So once again, my top four, Florida State, Washington, Ohio State, and Texas. How great would that be? 
ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, and Big 12 and leave out the SEC. That would never, ever, ever happen, Larry. But that's why we fantasize in the sport hole. Thank you. What do we got next? The sport hole. Butch, 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 butch. Oh, we've got the polygraph presser. You hear it every Tuesday here on the program. We send... Lawrence the Pixie and Picking Robot out to Blanding, Utah. San Juan High School hosts it in their gymnasium. Tuesdays, we got uh, Coach Whittingham this week, Coach Satake, and Coach Blake Anderson from Utah State. And Lawrence is there. They've got the polygraph lie detector machine. He puts it on them and then asks them the hard questions. Let's hear from... Let's do Coach Satake first, Larry. Tough loss by the Cougars on the road in Morgantown. What do we got? It's time for the Polygraph Presser. Coach Sitake, how do you feel about the game on Saturday? They're all well-coached teams, um, and then with tons of talent. Remember, Coach, you're on the Polygraph. Try again, please. Man, I'm happy Arizona State is coming to the Big 12. What a pathetic program. Dillingham worships me. I'm not too impressed with him. If I were in Tempe, I'd have that team winning 10 games a year Instantly, it's called defense, Kenny. Look it up. All these. Hey, wait a second, Larry. This is this is Whittingham talking, right? Yes. Okay. So we cut you cut the file wrong. So this is Whittingham responding to after beating Arizona State, not Satake, right? Yes. Okay. Go ahead and continue. Young guys want to be the next brilliant offensive mind. That's a little risky. Defense is where it's at. Defense wins Heart of Dallas Bulls, Vegas Bulls, Sun Bulls, Poinsettia Bulls, and gets you to the Rose Bowl. Washington sucks. Hammer the Utes, <laughs> plus nine and a half on the road. I'm confused, but Coach Witt, uh, very confident in uh, the Utes on the road. It's supposed to be rainy in Washington, Larry, in Seattle. Maybe that'll help. The, the slop might help the Utes. These boys were, their mutters were mutters, Larry. Maybe they can slop it up with a pig far- pig farmer. He's got to love the mud. All right, so hopefully this next one, Lawrence, is actually uh, Kalani Satake. Do we have him? Go ahead. Coach Whittingham, how do you feel about the game on Saturday? Our culture is, hey, you know, whatever it takes to win, it doesn't matter. Some weeks it's going to be uh, you know, more reliant on one face than the other. Remember, Coach, you're on the polygraph. All right, let's see if this Try is Satake. Please. Dude, what do you want me yeah. to do with this group of losers? Cougar Nation, you wanted five or six wins. I'm going to give you five or six wins. So log off your Twitter. Go get some Froyo and cool off. How about you guys contribute some NIL money so we can actually get some guys in the program? You actually believed all the Deseret News spring ball hype about how good we were going to be? My job is to be realistic. We suck. Take the Cougars plus six and a half at home against Iowa State. Oh, wow. Still likes him at home against the Cyclones. Plus six and a half, Larry. Is that what he said? Wow. And if they're going to, it's probably got to be this one. If they want to get bowl eligible, don't you think? This is the one the most now. Now, Iowa State looked beatable early on in the year, but now they've Got, but they got like, uh, what are they, five and they're at five wins. We'll break down this game more in depth later on uh, this week. But because then they've got they've got uh, Oklahoma State in Stillwater, they've got Oklahoma at home, which is going to be tough. 
So it's probably got to be this one. Yeah, so home against Iowa State, home against Oklahoma, on the road in Stillwater. And how about Gundy, man? What a hero. Talked about it last uh, yesterday, sending Oklahoma out of Bedlam with their tail between their legs like cowards, Larry. Fantastic. All right, let's hear from Blake Anderson. Coach Anderson, how do you feel about the game on Saturday? Did a great job there, so obviously some plays he's going to want to have back that we'll learn from. Remember, Coach, you're on the polygraph. Try again, please. Whammy! I never doubted Cooper Lega. He's the man. He's the guy after my own heart. Mountain West is a complete joke this year. If I could go back in time, I would have actually tried to beat Fresno and San Jose because we're going to win our next three games. What was I thinking the last couple weeks? My offensive system is great. Doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Plug and play. Take the Aggies <laughs> minus 16 and a half against the Wolfpack. That's a huge... Nevada must really be terrible. Something was weird in the Mountain West this year. San Diego State, Boise, Air Force looks amazing, and then they lose by a ton to Army. I can't figure it out, Larry. Fresno's good, I know. So all coaches like their teams to cover this week. We'll see if it happens. Good job, Larry. No, that's a tough job. Thanks for going up there. What's next, buddy? Listener voicemail. Call us with your inane observations at 900-3776. All right, we got some character calls, Larry? Yes. All right, let's do it. Fire when ready, pal. Sporty hole. What's good? Is it okay to fire a coach midseason? Like, should BYU fire some people at this point? It's <laughs> a great question. BYU lives by a code. Okay, they're not just everybody else. They're different. Um, a lot of coach, you know, if you're Florida, you fire your, your head coach seven games into the season like you're an NFL team, like, like you're the Raiders, right? But BYU doesn't do that. Coach Satake doesn't like to do it. And BYU doesn't like to do it. Tom Homo doesn't like to do it. They kind of benched Tuiaki last year when Satake took over the defensive play calling. Didn't really make a difference. A lot of BYU fans are saying Funk, Daryl Funk needs to go. The offensive line is underperformed. Here's, here's what I would say to this question, Larry. Is BYU has two position groups that you should have super high expectations for every year. Quarterback an offensive line. If it was, hey, our defensive backs coach sucks because we're getting beat, you know, we just gave up 400 yards uh, passing to one of these Big 12 teams, it's like, well, look, what do you want? Or, you know, our our edge, our, our rush, you know, isn't great. Our pass rush isn't great. But when you're the quarterback coach or the offensive coordinator, if you have an incompetent quarterback at BYU... And it's been a while. It's been a while for BYU since they haven't had a bona fide, true, talented quarterback. Even this year. Slovis is a quarterback. Okay, Retzloff comes in, he looks like a quarterback. He can run a system. He's got a good arm. He's accurate. That's a problem. 
D or excuse me, offensive line is the second one. I think offensive line doesn't have an excuse at BYU. You've always had good offensive lines. You've always been able to have that big aged beef. So when BYU fans come complaining about the offensive line, the offensive line coach has got to be accountable. This is an expectation at this school to have a good offensive line. Why have we sucked the last couple years? Why do we? Why are we told by scouts and magazines and whatever that we have NFL talent on the offensive line and their stock goes down every year? Starts high, beginning of the season. By the end of the year, it goes down a lot. We're giving you the talent. We're giving you the raw, you know, makings of a good offensive line. You're not making it work. Now, the offensive line coach is definitely a scapegoat, and it's a total offense problem, and it's a team problem. It's a Take deserves the blame because he's the head coach for everything. But to can a guy midseason because one of your staple units is sucking, I think is fine. Now, they're not going to do it, but most programs, if it's a problem that is this persistent, you can get rid of a midseason. Um, and I think that shows accountability, and I think it might help turn something around a little bit. You need one more win to go bowling, and the offensive line has been pathetic all season, every game. So something's got to change. Anything else on that one, Larry? Offensive line is a is a if you have a depressed, despondent, lazy, apoplectic offensive line, which BYU does at this point, that's a problem. That is the biggest problem for a football team. If you got guys going through the motion and counting down the days till the season's over because they're so miserable and they're not having fun and they're not fired up and they're not inspired, goes back to what we were talking about weeks ago, Larry. Linemen need church. They need a gospel. They need to be preached at every day to do what they do. It's the hardest thing to do mentally in the game. Quarterback is the most difficult position, but offensive line is the most difficult position position to get motivated to play every day to go run your helmet into a wall 50 times a game that is the toughest thing to do mentally to motivate yourself to do it and it doesn't look to me or when I watch Hans Olsen break down the film talking about the offensive line not being hungry not looking to go uh, do the extra effort peel off a block and go hit somebody downfield or any of that stuff it makes sense to me that the offensive line, that's his job to preach the gospel to these offensive linemen so that they're motivated. We're told that they have the talent. Why do they suck so bad? So I'm fine with that. Funk's been a coach for 30 years, tons of experience, has coached for a million different schools. And he would be a scapegoat to do it. And maybe, you know... If I'm a head coach, maybe I want to have a couple of scapegoats stick around, right? Because, for example, when when Satake says, okay, Tuiaki, I'm taking over the defensive play calling, and then the defense is kind of the exact same the next week, it becomes apparent that Tuiaki's not the problem, right? So if I'm the head of, uh, if I'm the head coach, maybe I want to keep some scapegoats around so they can keep getting the blame all the way to the end of the season. Then I can make some changes. I don't know. All right, Larry. Anything else on the funk thing? I think that's fine to fire a coach midway. I know that's not what BYU likes to do. All right.
What's next? Go ahead. Character call number two. Sport hole. Larry and Jeremy. Quick question. How awesome was it to watch LSU lose last night after Angel Reese wore a crown before the game and Mulkey was wearing one of her pompous dumb suits? <laughs> well, I would be uh, I would be disingenuous if I said I watched the game. I've just seen the stuff afterwards. It's fantastic. Love watching them lose. Mulkey's the most pompous coach besides Gino Ariema. Probably in all of college basketball, REM is the biggest pie hole possible, right? Mulkey's number two. And it's not just the suits. I'm okay if a coach has some personality and some pizzazz and stuff and get a little bit out of the norm, like Lane Kiffin type. I've always liked Lane's shtick. Mulkey's obnoxious. Um, Angel Reese wearing a crown before the game and then getting their butts kicked to Colorado. LSU's the number one team in women's basketball. That's great. Fantastic. Very satisfying. So I loved it. And the whole thing last year with her versus Caitlin Clark and the you can't see me John Cena debacle thing where uh, Angel Reese, after the championship game is over. The game is over. It's the championship game. LSU has won the game. She Chases after Caitlin Clark. Does that sign in her face right to her for like six seconds. That was the biggest punk move ever after a championship win. And anybody that criticized Angel Reese was, you know, canceled or whatever, even though it was just such a jerk move. And to compare it to what Caitlin Clark did, doing that signal to like her strength coach on the bench for a split second after making a good move, not even against LSU, was absurd. So watching LSU lose was fun last night, even though I didn't watch it. But it's great for college women's college basketball. There's more people watching women's college basketball in a long, than, a, than a long time because of this. They should have Iowa play LSU like four times this year, not just in the tournament. Next question, Larry. What do we got? Who do we got? Fire when ready. Hi, Sporty Mickle. Did you think Aikman was a little hard on our boy last night? <laughs> Jets sucked as a whole, not just Zach, right? Why is Aikman being so mean to him? All right, do you have the Aikman audio ripping Zach Wilson last night on MNF? Larry, go ahead. When you evaluate Garrett, or excuse me, Zach Wilson and the things where he's got to be better, this is it. First throw of the game. And this is a layup, and you've got to hit these layups. He's got two guys to the boundary. He could pick either one of them, and it's an easy completion, and he airmails them. And he just misses entirely too many of these easy throws for an NFL quarterback. It's It's not amazing to me that Aikman was hammering Zach Wilson. What's amazing to me is not just BYU fans who are defending Zach Wilson and saying it's unfair to be that critical of him and the Jets had a horrible game and they're not a great team and their offense doesn't have a lot of weapons and that stuff, which is kind of true, but Brees Hall's amazing and Garrett Wilson's amazing. Um, It's not surprising that BYU fans are defending Zach Wilson. What's surprising is the amount of people in professional football or other people, journalists or whatever, who are defending Zach Wilson. Because to me, it is clear that he's 
this is not a job he can he can perform. Um, you look at his his stat line, and he throws for two sixty three and whatever, and it's not horrible. And Herbert didn't play good last night either. But just watching the the games, it just seems to me, and it seems pretty clear to me that he's super panicked all the time. It's like he's playing on a thin ice, doesn't want to make a mistake. Um, it it isn't coming. He's not he's not in the zone. He's not natural. He's not just playing. And I understand that's that's a hard place to get to, but it's painful. Um, and I think Aikman calling him out a lot last night. I think a lot of Jets fans are calling him out, and he's kind of scratching them where where they itch when he is that critical of Zach Wilson. I mean, one of the worst plays that Wilson did last night that kind of shows that he's just he's he's thinking too much or he's just not his brain isn't shut off and he's not just reacting and performing is he's scrambling up in the pocket there's a huge lane to his left to easily run for a first down and I think maybe a third down if I remember correctly and he just is so finicky and panicked that he looks to his right and he sees a, a running back who's kind of open so he just flips it to him even though there's a defender right behind the running back who destroys the running back for just a couple-yard gain and they don't get the first down. Like, how do you not see that that open lane to the, your left? That's a problem. And his his awareness in the pocket is bad, too. Fumbled twice last night, got sacked six times, six-plus times. Um, so, I, I, you know, I've changed on Wilson, and I'm rooting for him, Larry. I want him to do well. I watch every Jets game kind of cheering for him, even though when he was a rookie, I was cheering against him because I thought he was so cocky. But it was tough last night again, and I think Aikman's fine ripping him because he's not playing He's not playing good at all. He, he's playing horrible. Even though the last couple of games that they were winning, he, you know, he did enough for them to win. So uh, I've got no problem with what Aikman did. Next topic. Our next uh, caller, Larry. Next character caller. What do you got? Hi, Sporty and Larry. What did you think about Wazoo's coach's comments about how screwed they are? Did you hear him? What a little baby. (laughs) Okay, this is Coach Dickert up at Washington State. Let's play his his comments. Here you go. In three weeks, it's going to be open target season on our players. That's what it's going to be, and it's already started. Right, so know that's what's coming. We need to provide them with as much resources as we possibly have here to keep this team together, to keep recruiting, to keep going. It's the it's the future of college football. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know I talked about this at the top of the show. The portal window opens the day after all the conference championships are done. So that's like December third. And to make it local, if you look around at Utah Tech, at a guy like Bo Sparks, a guy that Utah Tech went and found, diamond in the rough, pull him out of Texas, he comes to Utah Tech as a true freshman and has been their best receiver. He's been tremendous all year long for Coach Peterson and the Trailblazers. That's a kid that group of five schools are going to be looking at, other teams in the FCS are going to be looking at, and if a group of five school has some NIL money to throw at him, and Bo Sparks is saying, hey, when I was in high school, I was thinking I was at least a group of five talent. 
Better late than never. Yeah, I'm jumping into the portal. I'm going to go play at San Jose State or wherever. Some Mountain West school, maybe. SUU, Ryland Suafilo, sophomore, stud defensive lineman. How about Connor Cullimore up at SUU? BYU's got LJ Martin, who I know started hot, cooled off a little bit, but he is a prime talent, I believe. He was a 4A out of high school at a huge land by BYU. And maybe he's like, dude, this line sucks. I got to get to somebody somewhere who's going to block for me so I can have a career. McKay Hillstead up at Utah State. I know that Lagaz done after this year, and it's going to be Hillstead's team next year, and it's a great system. So I hope he stays at Utah State. But he's looked good enough to wear... You know, a Power 5 program who wants to gobble up some quarterbacks or add to their depth or whatever can come, especially if they can throw NIL money at them. That's the sad part, is a Power 5 school who's got an NIL budget collective can go to a group of five schools, presume starter for the next year, and win with money. To have a kid come and maybe be a backup for them at the Power 5 level. Ike Larson, who was at... You know, one of Utah State's best players who was at Utah uh, to watch them play Oregon a couple weeks ago, he's one you got to protect. So put your arm around these kids. Take their phones away. These these underclassmen, especially the ones that popped for the first time this year, who nobody knew about, don't, don't, let, them, don't let them on social media. No direct messages, Larry. Strict curfew. Don't let them go home for Christmas. Just keep them in the facility. Have them eat with your family for Christmas. Because they're coming. They're coming hot at these players. So it's you got to protect them. And, yeah, I agree with Dickert. He's got no NIL money. He said, look, Oregon State's 10x what we have budget-wise. He said, Arizona's 20x what we have budget-wise. So how are we supposed to keep anybody? Next topic. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. Utah State basketball gets the win 101-48 over South Dakota School of Mines. How about your guy, Larry Mason? Falslev, he was their second-leading scorer. Dallin Grant didn't play. Region 9 alum from Cedar High didn't get a minute in a blowout game. That might be because Sprinkles thinking of redshirting Dallin Grant. Doesn't make sense to me why he didn't play. All new players, basically, this year on the starting five. And if you think back to last year's Utah State team, that was a one of the best shooting teams in the country. The way that with Funk and Ashworth and all those guys, they moved the ball around. One of the funnest offenses to watch. They brought in all of these kids through transfer. Are they going to be able to shoot at the clip that Utah State was last year? I doubt it. But hopefully they can be competitive in the Mountain West this year. Um, Utah won 101-66 over Eastern Washington. Carlson had a good game. Worcester had a good game. Matson had 20 points. They were awesome last year early in the Pac-12. Trailed off in the second half. BYU won 110-63 over Houston Christian. Spencer Johnson had 20 points. Ali Khalifa only had three points. Only played 16 minutes. This was a big get in the, in the portal. Be interested to see if his minutes go up soon in the pre-conference schedule. Dallin Hall only 15 minutes and six points. And the Big 12 is lurking. Conference play. Going to be a disaster for BYU. I'm the one that got it done and did a great job. All right, Handyman brought to you by Bucks Ace Hardware. Check out Bucks Ace. Three Southern Utah locations. Hurricane, Dino Crossing, and Santa Clara. 
What are we fixing today, Lawrence? Oh, we're fixing the Manning cast. And also, McAfee and Reese Davis did a primetime college football red zone thing on Saturday night. Love it. I forgot to watch it, but I love the concept. I love that they're trying to do that, and I've always loved the Manning cast. Here's the one change I'm going to make. People are going to think I'm going to say get rid of the guests. I would be fine with that, but that's not how we're going to fix the Manning cast. The way we're going to fix it is the reason why I choose the main MNF broadcast with Buck and Aikman is only because you get the full game presentation the whole time, right? There's no half screens. There's no panel of three talking heads. Um, It's just a full game. That's what I want. That's the number one priority. I want to see the whole game the whole time on my screen. And if Manning did that and just had him and Eli behind it in the background just talking like they were actual announcers, but in the way that they do it, I would watch that every time. I don't need to see their faces as I'm watching the play. Now, you can cut away in between plays and show them doing stuff. That's fine. Or show the guests. But during the game, just show me the full game. Because that's the only reason I'm choosing to go watch Buck and Aikman. Same with the college football McAfee and Reese Davis thing. A lot of it is showing McAfee and his man cave and stuff. And they're showing their faces throughout the whole... You don't need to see their faces. Just show us the football game. And it'd be a lot better. And I would watch... I would watch it every time over Buck and Aikman. That's what we fixed in the sport hole this week. All right, Larry, great job. Quick break. Back with more right after this.